Hello, I'm Andrea Chilcote. Welcome to What Leaders Need Now, where we discuss beliefs, behaviors, and values essential at this time of organizational transformation. Today's topic is reflection, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my colleague and friend, Randy Hain. Welcome, Randy. Thanks, Andrea. It's great to be on the show. Let me read Randy's impressive bio. Randy Hain is the founder and president of Servium Partners and co-founder of the Leadership Foundry. With a successful 30-plus year career in senior leadership roles, corporate talent, and executive search, he is a sought-after executive coach for senior leaders at some of the best-known companies in the U.S. who are seeking candid and expert guidance on how to identify and overcome obstacles to their success or develop new leadership skills. He is a husband, father, active community leader, and serves on boards of the causes he cares about most. Randy has earned a reputation as a creative business partner and generous thought leader through his books, articles, and speaking engagements. Randy is the award-winning author of nine books, including the brand new Upon Reflection, Helpful Insights and Timeless Lessons for the Busy Professional, and 2021's Essential Wisdom for Leaders of Every Generation. Randy, I am so excited about this conversation. I feel like it's less of an interview and just another wonderful coffee with Randy. You know, I, I agree. You and I have always had some great conversations over the years, and I think today will just be another one in a long list of those. I think so, too. So let's get started. We both know the value of reflection in our personal and professional lives, and mm -hmm. we've both written many times about the importance of reflection as a leadership practice. I name it as one of three core leadership practices in my new book, What Leaders Need Now, and your newest book, Upon Reflection, is a treasure chest. It's not just a book about why reflection is important and how to do it. It's also a deep dive into what to reflect on. Can you comment on that and why you wrote this book? Absolutely. You know, I think it's easy to um, throw out best practices for reflection and five easy ways to do it. And, and I do weave in some of those best practices in the book. But for me, as I thought about, you know, upon reflection and what I was really trying to convey, I wanted to promote this idea that you need to, to have a life well lived. You need to create experiences and moments. I'll give you an example. You know, we're doing this podcast right now, and I'm in my home in Roswell, Georgia, and I'm surrounded by pictures uh, of the things I love, my family behind me are maps of my favorite places and, and, and pictures of my family and places we've traveled. And all of those represent memories, moments. So when I think about, you know, what you asked me, I need to live and have those moments in order to reflect on them. I need to be able to create a richness in my life that I can go back and reflect on. And to be fair, sometimes we have to reflect on pain and adversity as well. And, you know, and I, I, I think about those things as well. But I think we have to live a life that's that's rich in those experiences in order to be truly reflective. So, Randy, I love what you said about surrounding yourself with memories. One of my favorite quotes from your book is this, the greatest contributor to my personal growth has been gazing into the past with a desire to learn and apply the lessons I glean versus peering into the future and seeking what's next. Can you talk a little bit about this? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, as I think about when I was a younger man, a younger business professional, I was, you know, I was always thinking about the next move. I was ambitious. I was climbing the corporate ladder. And I think in my late 20s, probably about the time that I got married and started to think about more than just work, I started to recognize maybe the futility of, of constantly chasing what was in front of me. And I started, I think, in my late 20s and early 30s to value what was behind me. I've also been very drawn to history. So thinking back on, you know, moments in my life, uh, things that matter to me, events, um, has always been something I've been interested in. And as, I, as I've gotten older and now I'm in my 50s, I definitely find value in thinking about where I've been and what it's taught me versus chasing something that's not, in, it's not really uh, actually there yet. I, I, I just don't find a lot of value in constantly thinking five years down the road. I'd rather go 10 years in the past and see what that tells me. So it's been a way that I've tried to live and it's something that I coach my clients to do as well. How do you convey that to your clients when, when they're focused on the future only? Well, I, I usually start by asking questions. Um, tell me what this is gaining you as you constantly focus on becoming the CEO in five years. You know, tell me, tell me about that journey. And it's usually not a very fulfilling journey for them. It's usually filled with frustration. They don't know exactly how to navigate it. And it's not wrong to have ambition. Let's, let's be clear. I think it's okay to think about where you want to go. But I think somehow societally, culturally, we've lost this, this interest in the past. We've stopped reflecting on history and what it can teach us. So I often tell my clients, listen, it's okay to think about where you're going, but let's also think about where you've been and what have you learned along the way. So I'll often go through their career with them. We'll do some career mapping and just talk about each of the jobs and, and get them to pause and tell me, what did you get from that? What was the key lesson? What did you take to the next job? And I find for many of them, my prompting to do that is often the first time they've ever done it. So I think just encouraging people, sometimes forcing them to look backwards is a healthy exercise. It's one that I do, and I try to get my clients to do the same. Yeah, you mentioned it's often the first time they've ever done it. I, I talked with a client yesterday who had just read my book, and you know, my book, uh, it, your book is all about reflection. Reflection is one of the practices I talk about. And she pulled that out, and she said, I've been a leader for 43 years. And I don't think I've ever been one who's done any reflection. Wow. And it is really true that some people mm -hmm. don't do that. And I, you know, this, I, I don't know if this feels like a disparate um, correlation to you or not, <coughs> but I've been kind of on fire since um, last Thursday, Gallup released their uh, 2023 State of the Global Workplace mm -hmm. Survey. Mm -hmm. And no surprise, stress remains at record high levels. Not surprised. And I, I believe there's a correlation between reflection and the degree of stress that we're in. We're going forward, we're going, 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 and we don't take the time to stop. Mm -hmm. And we don't believe, a lot of leaders don't believe they have the time to take the time. You know, I, I think there's a correlation. Hopefully this won't be a rabbit hole for us, but I think there's a correlation with how we consume information. You know, in the old days, we'd go to the library and get a book. I would, I'm in my home office now and it's filled with books. Picking up a book 
you know, absorbing the lessons, underlining things. Uh, that's how we used to learn. But now we get all of our information and data through Twitter, through little bite-sized chunks. Uh, so we don't really consume information the way that we used to. And I think that has an impact on our ability to be reflective. You know, when I read a book, I'll read a chapter, put it down and sit quietly and think about what I just read. So my reading reinforces my reflection. But I don't know if you agree, but I do think there's a correlation between data consumption and the lack of reflection. I agree. Yeah. Well, a few minutes ago, you said that it's not all about the practices. It's not all about the how-to. Mm -hmm. And yet some of the how-to is important, especially for those who really don't know how to do it or have never done it. Right. And in the first chapter of your book, um, titled Savor the Moments, you share some concrete suggestions for better reflective practices. Can you tell us more about some of those? Yeah, that, that was a, a fun chapter to write. Um, I was with my family last year, uh, and we were out west. We went to the Grand Canyon, Sedona, Arizona, and Las Vegas. Uh, and except for Las Vegas, but uh, but the other places we visited were really wonderful environments to promote reflection. So I thought a lot about the past. I thought a lot about when I was a younger leader, how I was multitasking on vacation, when I was checking email uh, during and after dinners, when I was constantly you know trying to get work done while I was with my family. And I remembered with guilt and some shame those those days and how I've worked so hard to remove myself from that and truly be present with my family. So the whole gist of savor the moment is truly savoring the moment, savor the, the moments with your family, savor the moments with friends and loved ones. Uh, when you're doing something meaningful, take the time to really enjoy it. You know, I've always admired your work with uh, with dogs and uh, and uh, and the things you do in the community. And I know you well. When you're doing those things, you're fully present in those moments. You're totally absorbed in that. And that's really one of the the key lessons from the chapter is when you're doing something meaningful, especially when you're out of your work environment, take the time to appreciate what you're doing. Uh, and I think that's, if you get anything from that chapter, I think it's just appreciate those moments, reflect on them, and uh, hopefully take a picture that you'll remember forever, you know. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks. So jumping from chapter one to chapter 10, um, you invite us to examine the novel concept of time thieves. Oh. Can you talk about time thieves? So uh, it was one of my favorite chapters to write. Every now and then I get a caffeine-inspired burst of inspiration. And that's that came out of three cups of coffee one morning. And I was just thinking about every single day, we all begin our days in the middle of a crime scene. And the crime scene is our calendar. And our calendar is just filled with people you know, trying to get our time. There are people that during the day are going to try to steal our time, invite us to meetings that maybe are not necessary or relevant. So each day you're you're trying to fight off those time thieves because you're trying to get your job done. You're trying to work with your team. Uh, you've got lots to do, but people are constantly trying to steal that time. So that particular chapter is about identifying often well-intended time thieves in your world, but also how to appropriately say no. I think that's the real key lesson in the chapter is I think we have to be willing to say no, but you and I both work with clients that their first answer is yes, I'll do it, I'll, I'll be there, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But sometimes we need to say, Andrea, can you send me an agenda for that meeting? Is there an agenda? 
what's the role that you want me to play in the meeting? Uh, can you tell me exactly what we're trying to accomplish? Uh, and by asking questions, you often find, well, you actually don't need me there at all. You need one of my colleagues. Or we could do this in an email exchange. We don't need to have a two-hour meeting. So I think the willingness to engage, ask questions, and then ultimately respectfully say no is one of the key lessons you'll get from the Time Thieves chapter. No. As coaches, um, we both run up against people who have, for many, many reasons, some some very personal, mm -hmm. an inability or unwillingness to to say no, mm -hmm. and you know it runs the gamut. The reasons that we take on too much, that we we take on too much work, that we continue to say yes, and. Several years ago, you and I had a conversation that had a profound impact on my work, and I'm I'm not sure you even realize um, how much impact it had. And we were talking about having enough time to do the reflection that it takes to do the writing we both love to do, mm -hmm. to do the writing itself, and the and the reflection that it takes to do uh, effective writing. And you asked me how utilized I was. You used that phrase, utilized I was, in client meetings. And when I told you, you told me it was far too much and that, that there was no way that I could, could continue to, to, to be that utilized and do the things that I wanted to do. And I remember thinking, well, you know, he's probably right and he probably doesn't realize how much capacity I have. Mm -hmm. And... And it took me some, I had to reflect on that. And mm -hmm. I knew that you were right. And without reflection, I couldn't do what I wanted to do, what my, my vision really was. Mm -hmm. And yet it is easier for the two of us because we are in charge of our, our lives. We, we own our businesses. We can right. say no to clients. It's hard to do, it's very, very hard to do, but we can decide what we spend our time on. And our clients think they can't, and we know they can. Um, so, you know, you write about it, and when you're working with a client, what are some of the things that you find that either people use as excuses or mental paradigms that they have that they're living in mm -hmm. that cause them to to not see what they're doing to themselves can you can you talk about that a little bit i think we could have three shows built around this topic just this topic i you know, it's one of my favorites but i'll do my best to be you know succinct i i think you know as i think about all the different you know leaders i work with i think in various degrees they all struggle with this and I think many of them work in what I call dysfunctional meeting cultures, where the culture is largely built around, yeah, this is the way we do meetings. And oftentimes, no agendas, no one's taking notes, they're completely ineffective, and we just meet for the sake of meeting. And if you work in that environment, it's very difficult to sort of buck the culture. It's difficult to say, I'm going to stand alone and not be part of that. And that's not what I'm advocating, but sometimes it's difficult to resist what everyone around you is doing. So I think that's one issue. I think another issue is poor prioritization. I think leaders often think about, well, I've got my work life and that's gonna be, that's you know eight, 10 hours a day. And when I'm done with all that, then I'll focus on some of that family stuff and some of that personal stuff. And I advocate for an integrated approach to life. 
you've got to have your priorities straight. You know, you've got to know exactly what matters to you. And I think, and the way I think and the way I coach is you should have your most important priorities first. So I will tell you mine. This is just my perspective. For me, it's faith, family, and work. So I build my day around that. And I'm really busy, as are you. We've got lots to do. But I make sure that I honor my prayer time, my family time, my health. And I schedule all of those things. And then I schedule my work around those things. And you know what? I get all the work done. I'm happier. I'm healthier. And I get my work done the right way. So I try to advocate for my clients in their own way, based on their priorities, build your world your day around those priorities and honor that i think another thing that helps people who are really reluctant to say no is to think about it um, have you ever heard the analogy of of how you're supposed to catch an egg have you ever heard that before andrea mm -hmm. if someone throws you an egg the worst thing you can do is catch it out here because as soon as you stop the egg it breaks in your hand the way to catch it is to reach out and bring it towards your body and slow down the momentum. So when you think about saying no under that sort of, you know, in that way of thinking, instead of just saying, no, I won't go to your meeting, maybe a different way is, hey, Andrea, I've got something I'm committed at four o'clock, but tomorrow at one o'clock and Thursday at two, I'm available. Which one of those options might work? And it's a wonderful way to honor the, the time that you've reserved, but immediately be helpful with alternatives. And I found in my own experience when I was a senior executive, 80% of the time, 90% of the time, people would pick my alternative and not think twice about it. So I think there's a whole bunch of issues associated with it, but primarily sometimes you're in a culture where it's difficult to buck the trend. We don't have our priorities straight and we don't know how to say no. Thank you for that. Yes, sure. and you're right. We could have we could have a lot of follow-up on that. So there is no question that there's data, there's even there's research that points to better learning, better performance by people who have a regular practice of reviewing lessons learned, of, re of reflecting. Mm -hmm. And there's also a dark side, if you will, and that's the ruminators that are mm -hmm. out there, the people who do not reflect, but rather churn, review <coughs> the mistakes they made over and over and over, or even re ruminate on the future with a negative what if, what if, what if. Can you comment on the difference between reflection and rumination and what you advise clients when they turn healthy reflection into rumination? You know, I love that question, um, and I'd like to answer it with a story, if I may. Sure. So um, I'll take you back to 23 years ago, if I could. And 23 years ago, my oldest son, Alex, who's 25 now, was diagnosed with high-functioning autism. And it was one of the most difficult conversations my wife and I uh, in our lives have ever encountered. It, it was devastating. We didn't know how to respond in the moment. But I, I look back on that, and then I fast forward to now. And my wife and I have always chosen to reflect on that moment and then the, the beautiful life we have lived with our special needs son as certainly there's been adversity. Certainly there have been difficult moments, but there have been a lot of blessings. There have been so many wonderful things that have come out of 
our son with special needs. So I give you that and I would compare it to what if we chose to ruminate on that and, and constantly go back to that moment and say, woe is us. It was the worst thing ever. Our lives have been so difficult. Uh, you know, I wish people would feel sorry for us. And I think sometimes, and that's that's an example I would give you of choosing to reflect versus ruminate. But I do run into people, as do you, a lot of professional clients, who um, who choose just to kind of wallow in those difficult moments, those negative thoughts. And listen, everybody's got to come to grips with that as best they can. But I think the key answer that, based on what you're asking me, is if we look back to all the things that we faced in our life, good or bad, and try to see the lesson. What is the key thing that that experience has taught me? And even if it's a difficult experience, use that as a building block. What can I do with that experience? I've learned from that. How can I carry that forward? So instead of just wallowing in it or dwelling on it, maybe we try to see it as a helpful lesson that will help us do better next time. We'll be better prepared for the next thing in our lives. So that's how I've chosen to look at it. Um, I'm a cup half as full, cup is half full kind of person. But for me, I, I think it's just choosing to see the lessons, how I can learn from that, and then building on it. Beautiful. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So I want to ask you also about chapter 17, which is one of my favorite chapters, which introduces the idea of normalized defects. Mm. Can you, um, certainly you make, the case there for the criticality of reflection. Can you comment on on that? Um, so I'm filled with stories today. I hope you'll forgive me, but I'll be quick. Uh, Love stories. So um, if we all go back to uh, the tragic explosion of the Space Shuttle Challenger, and you may also remember Columbia, the Space Shuttle Columbia, each had significant defects in, 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 their, uh, in, in the launch. With Challenger, it was heat shield tiles. With Columbia, I think it was O-rings. Well, NASA shut down the NASA program, uh, and they went in and did this really, uh, the space shuttle program, and they went in and did this, did this deep forensic analysis about what happened. And they interviewed every single person that was involved in the program. And what they learned was very interesting. The people on the front line, the scientists, the engineers, were aware of what to them appeared to be relatively minor defects that were uh, inherent in both of those particular shuttles. They, they saw little issues, but they didn't think that it would keep the shuttle, uh, it would stall the shuttle program. They, were, they felt that we could still do the shuttle launches even though we knew we had some issues. They also were not, not communicating about those issues to senior leadership. And if you remember NASA in the 60s, it used to be the director of NASA and a 25-year-old engineer would sit at the same table and there were no layers of bureaucracy. Well, today NASA is very bureaucratic. So the reason I tell you all this is NASA figured out that we had started as a, as a, as a group normalizing defects. They had normalized defects and accepted them as just the way that we do business. Well, isn't it interesting to take that thinking and apply it to corporate America. What are the defects that we have normalized in our businesses? We often would describe this as status quo thinking. We know we have a candor problem, but that's just the way that we do things around here. I know that we have 20 meetings uh, every single day, and that's just the way we do it around here. And what we're doing when we say that is we're covering up the defects. We know we shouldn't do those things, 
but yet we just accept them and say that's just the way we do it. Well, the, the chapter in the book talks about how to uncover those defects in your own organization, but then it gives some best practices on how to eliminate or mitigate them. And when you do that, you'll be more efficient and more effective as a leader in a team. Thank you for that. Thank you for that contribution. Um, it's, it's really, really important when we're really looking for every, every slight edge for mm -hmm. more effectiveness, because mm -hmm. so many times it looks like there's nothing we can do to find more, more time and more time um, to spend, as you talked about earlier, on the things that are really important to us and the priorities that are important to us. And the connecting thread, once again, is reflection. You've got to be willing to reflect on how have we acted? How have we shown up? How have we done things? And again, sometimes we're so focused on the next thing, the next thing, we don't think about where we've been. That's right. So Randy, is there anything else you think is important that leaders should understand about reflection? That everyone is capable of it, that everyone should practice it that it is for everyone, regardless of your uh, age, your generation, your status in life. Uh, you can be a 15-year-old or a 70-year-old, it doesn't matter. Everyone can practice this. So I think if you're at a place right now and you're listening to the podcast and you're wondering, you know, why am I struggling? Why am I, you know, why am I not getting promoted? Why am I not happy in my relationships? Try to practice this, this idea of reflection. Read Andrea's excellent book. You know, check out Upon Reflection that I wrote and look for some of those ideas and best practices. But I think if you're not doing it, it's something that you need to add to your repertoire and uh, I encourage you to start right away. Thank you so much for being here and for having this discussion. Uh, you can get both of our books, What Leaders Need Now and Upon Reflection, Helpful Insights and Timeless Lessons for the Busy Professional on Amazon. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast by hitting the subscribe button on What Leaders Need Now or go to MorningstarVentures.com. Under the Thought Leadership section, you can subscribe and also see our podcast library. Thank you for joining us today.